0: الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهد الله فلا مضل له يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله خير الهدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وَكُلَّ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ فِي Today is our fifth lesson on this uh, small treatise on 40 hadith regarding the excellence of La Ilaha illallah. And so we start today with the 12th hadith, hadith number 12, and this chapter uh, the chapter heading for this hadith is باب Istihbab تقرارها استحباب تقرارها عند الموت والشدة Chapter regarding the recommendation of repeating it, this statement, at death and at the point of death and at times of hardship. And so the hadith is from Aisha رضي الله عنها Fi uh, she said regarding when the approach came to the messenger of Allah with, with respect to death. And by his side was a container in which there was water. So he would put his hands into the container, into the container of water. And he would wipe his face after dipping his hands into the container of Water, and then he would say, ويقول لا إله إلا الله. إن للموت لا سكرات. إن للموت لا سكرات. And he would say, لا إله إلا الله. Indeed, death has لا There are, you know, there are pains of of death. So from this hadith, there are a number of benefits that we can take uh, from this hadith. First of all, in this hadith there is a mention of the passing away of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and him departing from the life of this world. And so the Messenger of Allah he is from among the men, and he is just like all other men in terms of the worldly affairs. He eats, he drinks, he undergoes hardships, he undergoes illnesses. Likewise, like other men, he passes away. And he is in the state, he's entered into, departed from the life of this world. And so, this is uh, the nature of all of the messengers. All of the messengers of Allah are from amongst the men. They are not from the angels, they are from amongst the men. And uh, they are chosen by Allah in order to deliver. Uh, His message, InshaAllah ta'ala we will look at this uh, issue in a bit more detail when we come to another hadith uh, With respect to the connection between Tawheed, between Tawheed itself and between messengership Tawheed and Risala, these two things are connected and cannot be separated Tawheed and Risala, worshipping Allah alone and affirming the messengership One is a means to the other so, so point, point number one, messenger of Allah sallam, uh, in this hadith there is an indication of the mention of his passing of his away. Second uh, benefit is that when death approaches an indiv- individual, a person, then it is recommended for him to repeat the kalimah of Tawheed. For him to repeat the statement, La ilaha illallah, as death approaches that person. Also, this indicates at the same time, at one and the same time, that it's also recommended to say La ilaha illallah at times of hardship, times of difficulty. Especially when there is marad, when there is disease, when there is an illness and a person is suffering from the pains of that illness. The, so that is the third benefit. The fourth benefit also is that this hadith indicates the permissibility of taking uh, medicine, using medicinal means, and taking the ways and means. Because in this situation, the Messenger of Allah, in order to relieve uh, the pain and the difficulties of the disease, and likewise the approach of death, then he would put his hands into water, and just to give himself some relief by putting the water, rubbing it on his face. And so, in this is an indication of the permissibility of the recommendation of taking the ways and the means, and from the ways and the means is the issue of medicine Al-tib. and so the scholars have discussed the issue of medicine, what is the ruling on medicine, and the majority of the scholars are of the opinion that medicine is uh, permissible it is is jāiz, permissible to take, and some scholars say it is recommended, and that's the saying of the know, most of the scholars, that it is recommended for a person to use the ways and means. It is part and parcel of tawakkul in Allah, to use the ways and means, the medicinal ways and means, in order to uh, relieve or to cure illnesses and so on and so forth. There are some scholars who say it is wajib, but this is not the case, this is not true, this is not correct. Uh, medicinal treatment is not wajib, except in a particular situation that the scholars mention, where a person he would be unable to fulfil his obligations to Allah if he was not to take medicinal treatment. In other words, that if he will have an illness and that illness is preventing him from his obligations and there is a treatment that he can take that would and it's known for sure that it will cure him, then in that case it is wajib upon him to take that to take that medicine. And likewise, if it's a matter of life and death, where if if his life can be saved by a medicinal treatment which is known, by, you know, with, with a good degree of certainty that it will, you know, save him, then likewise it would be become obligatory for him to take that treatment. So these are the really the exceptions that the scholars mention um, with respect to medicine that in no circumstances it would become obligatory. One can refer back to the tafsil of Sheikh Muhammad bin Saleh al uthaymeen on this topic, where he clarifies these different uh, rulings. But as for what is generally the ruling of medicine, it is uh, jāiz with some scholars, merely permissible, and recommended in the view of others. And it is part and parcel of uh, al-Tawakkul. So this is point number four. Uh, point number five, benefit number five, is... That we see that in this situation, the Messenger of Allah he <laughs> was saying the Kalima aloud. He was raising his voice with the Kalima, La ilaha illallah, because obviously the people they heard it. And it wasn't something he was saying like under his breath. Um, so this indicates that when a person is undergoing some hardship or some pain, or some feeling, some pain, he can say, La ilaha illallah. Instead of muttering it in a, in a in a tone, in a, in a low voice, or under the breath, he should say La ilaha illallah. Express it out like this. And it is better to do that um, when a person is having some uh, pain. And finally, a mention of the fact that death has sakarat, meaning that when death approaches, there are the, the throes of death, the pangs of, 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 of pain, and a person feels this and that no one will actually escape from this. If the messenger of Allah him, experienced them and suffered from them, then nobody else will escape from them either. So death has these you know, uh, pains and these things which are associated with it. So in conclusion, this hadith, the evidence that we take from it, which indicates the excellence and the virtue of the kalima la ilaha illallah, is that at the point of death, when a person is going to move from the life of this world, from the life of the dunya to the barzakh, then it is strongly recommended that he mention the kalima of Tawheed. And this indicates that the best by which a person can depart from this world is of course the kalima of Tawheed. It's the best thing by which he can depart from, the life of this world. And this itself indicates the greatness of this kalima. This brings us to the next hadith, hadith number 13, hadith of Abi Dharr, radiyallahu anhu, who said, "Qultu ya Rasulullah I said to the Messenger of Allah, advise me, give me some advice. And so the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he said, إِذَا Fa'at حَسَنَةً hasana When you do an evil deed, then follow it up with a good deed and it will erase it. So Abu Daruana said, Ya Rasulullah أَمِنَ al Hasanati La ilaha illallah. So he said, O Messenger of Allah, is it from the good deeds? To say La ilaha illallah is La ilaha illallah from the good deeds, meaning from those good deeds that remove evil deeds, remove sins, erase sins. Paul, so the Messenger of Allah salam, he said, "He is it is the best, the most virtuous of the righteous deeds, brought by Ahmad and declared sahih by Shaykh al Bani So from this hadith there are a number of benefits. The first benefit is We can see that this companion Abu Dhar That He went to the messenger of Allah Who is the most virtuous and the most excellent of people uh, from, uh, from the people of Fadl and Ihsan To go to them And to ask them for advice To ask the people of knowledge The people of excellence The people of virtue To go to them And ask them advice in matters of religion uh, for advice and so on and so forth, direction, guidance—that this is the way of, you know, this is a, a, the way of a believer. The second thing which this indicates, this hadith indicates, that it shows also at the same time the excellence and the virtue of the companions, in that there were compa- that there were people who would seek khayr, they would seek goodness, they would go out and ask for goodness and ask for guidance. Number three, that doing righteous deeds is something that erases evil deeds. And this is indicated clearly in the, in the Quran when Allah mm-hmm. when He said, as Indeed, the good deeds, they remove the evil deeds. And the fourth benefit is, that we can take from this as well, is that when there is a student of knowledge and something is difficult upon him, that some issue is perplexing him or something is difficult upon him, then he goes to his a scholar, to his uh, teacher, his scholar, the Sheikh, and to ask him to resolve and to remove that difficulty. And the fifth benefit is, and this is the point of benefit now, this is the point that relates to the evidence that we are looking for, which is, that the most excellent of hasanat and the heaviest of them in the scales is the statement La ilaha illallah because to say La ilaha illallah a person is speaking and expressing the truth the truth for which the heavens and the earth were created the heavens and the earth were created so that Allah may be worshipped. And that is the entire truth, that is the, the absolute truth behind all of creation. This is the this is the greatest truth upon which the heavens and the earth is founded upon. It is the greatest justice. It is adul. It is it is the, the, the greatest form of justice that you worship only Allah. So to say this statement when you when you when you witness And testify to this statement, you are testifying to the greatest truth ever. It is the absolute truth, the greatest truth. And so therefore, when a believer says that with conviction, with truthfulness, it is from the mightiest of the righteous deeds. And a person, and this counts from those deeds by which a person's evil deeds are removed. Now we have to stop here. And we, we we have to make an important point uh, in that, you know, what is meant by the likes of these texts. Because there are some people who they, shaitan makes them deceive themselves. And they think that, you know, they, they, they think that they can commit a sin deliberately knowing or uh, believing that the likes of these texts justify for them the committing of the sin. So in other words, a person reasons in, reasons in his mind that I'm going to commit this act, this sin, this major sin, or whatever else it is, and then afterwards, I'm going to say, La ilaha illallah, and my sin will be forgiven. And so this really, it, this is not the, what, what these texts, what they indicate. And this is really a person who's trying to play and fool with the religion. He's deceiving himself, a shaitan's deceived him, and he's deceiving himself. Rather, what these texts are speaking about is a person who fears Allah, and in a moment of weakness, a situation arises, in a moment of weakness, he's overtaken, he commits a sin, and when he remembers, he fears Allah, and he knows that from the righteous deeds are those which will remove the sin, and from the greatest of them is the the kalima, So he repeats this kalimah, knowing the greatness of its meaning, feeling remorseful, and resolving not to do it again. So there are some people, who use the likes of these texts, in order to play with the religion. And this is not what these texts mean, so a person needs to be careful, and not allow shaitan to deceive him, into relying upon you know hope and relying upon these types of texts which mention the great mercy and the forgiveness of Allah. It doesn't really work like that. Rather Allah looks at you know the, the, the piety which is in the hearts. If there's piety in the hearts and a person makes a slip and a mistake, Allah is forgiving or merciful. But if a person out of intent now, you know, he wants to play with the religion and fool with the religion and he justifies his soul falling into sins and transgressions and so on and so forth, and deceiving himself by thinking, I'll, I'll just sit down you know, for, for two minutes and I'll repeat La ilaha illallah, and this will erase my sins. This now is not a heart that really fears Allah. It's not a heart that is really, you know, has taqwa. It's not, it's not emanating from taqwa, it's emanating from something else. And so we have to be careful of these affairs. So the point of benefit or the, the actual point of evidence is. The Tawheed, La ilaha illallah, when a person says it, understanding its meaning with certainty, with truthfulness, with conviction, then it is a cause for the removal or for the erasing of his deeds, of, of his evil deeds. The next hadith from Abu Huraira, عنه, uh, who said from the Messenger of Allah Wasallam. Man يصيبه يصيبه Declared authentic by Shaykh al Bani So Abu Hurairah, he reports that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he said Whoever says الله, it will benefit him one day. It will benefit him one day, no matter what has come to him or afflicted him before that, no matter what has happened before that. So, what this hadith means is that, first of all, it explains the excellence of La ilaha illallah and that no matter what a person has committed of sins that there will be a day in which that kalima will benefit him. Meaning on yawmul qiyamah. Even if he came with sins, there will be a day on which that kalimah will actually benefit him. And likewise, in the life of this world, it is something that prevents him from calamities. There are calamities which are removed from you by way of this statement, La ilaha illallah. And a person should not think, that even though he says La ilaha illallah, there are still calamities that come to him. Because he does not know of the calamities which Allah has withheld from him. On account of him saying La ilaha illallah. This is something that he does not know. And just because he does he, he, he suffer calamities, he suffers illnesses. Loss of wealth, loss of limb, loss of life, meaning from his families and relatives, near ones. Right? Uh, All these are calamities that a person undergoes, illnesses, things like this. He shouldn't think, why am I, you know, why are these calamities coming to me? Rather he should think, how many more calamities have been repelled from me? That Allah may have repelled from me on account of the kalima la ilaha illallah and tawheed and iman and taqwa and so on and so forth. And a person doesn't really, you know, think about those things. So, uh, This statement, whoever says La ilaha illallah, it will benefit him one day. There is another related hadith of Hudayfah bin al Yaman, radiallahu anhu. And in this hadith, uh, the hadith mentions how at the end of time there will be a people, and all they will know is La ilaha illallah. And they will not know the prayer. This will be at the end of time. They will not know the charity. They will not know hajj, they will not know fasting. Yet despite, them, yet despite all of this, when they say la ilaha illallah, it will save them from the fire. And when it is said to them, they will say, well our forefathers used to say this and so we say it. So Hudayfa, he said, will this benefit them? And the messenger of Allah s.a. said, yes it will benefit them, it will save them. And they repeat, Then Hudayfa said again, second time, then a the third time. So this hadith now again this brings us back to the issue of faith and iman and what is iman and should we rely just upon the kalima alone because when you when you hear these texts when a person hears these texts whoever says la ilaha illallah will enter paradise whoever says la ilaha illallah hellfire will be pro- prohibited from him and these texts as well that you've that you read here. It is possible for a person to rely just upon the kalimah in order to get to paradise. And then he will abandon the ways and the means, meaning which are the righteous deeds. And this is a misguided way of thinking. It's a misguided way of thinking to rely upon this. And this is known as the bid'ah of al irja Irja means to delay actions or to remove actions from faith itself and to rely just upon the belief which is in the heart and the expression that a person makes of la ilaha illallah and just to rely upon this alone and this is a misguided way of thinking rather the scholars they've explained these texts they've said that at the beginning of Islam, at the beginning of Islam, when there was no prayer, there was no zakah, there was no hajj, there was no fasting, there was no none of the uh, you know these obligations or the prohibitions. At the beginning, there would be these types of texts. Whoever says "La ilaha illallah" will enter paradise. Right. This is calling people away from shirk to the ...to worship Allah alone... ...at a time... ...when there were no obligations... ...there was no prayer... ...there was no... Uh, ...you know... ...the five prayers weren't obligatory... At this, ...in this early period... ...and so on and so forth... ...so these types of things... ...they, they explain the excellence of Tawheed... ...and the virtue of Tawheed... ...and worshipping Allah alone... ...and shunning... ...you know... worshiping idols... ...and dead people... ...and so on and so forth... ...and... ...the people were given... ...glad tidings of paradise... And this is one of the ways and means of giving da'wah. When you call to people, you give them glad tidings of paradise. You tell them that if you worship Allah alone, if you abandon false deities, and you worship Allah alone, then glad tidings of paradise. And this is at the same time that these people are committing all sorts of major sins. They're committing shirk. But they're also committing major sins as well. Because the major prohibitions in the Sharia. They were not revealed up until in Medina. For example, you know, the prohibition of alcohol, the prohibition of uh, interest and usury were right towards the end. Even in, 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 uh, in Medina, right? as you know, we move on into the later stages of, of Medina. So sometimes there can be people who are committing shirk and they're committing major sins. And so we approach them and we tell them, look, if you worship Allah alone, abandon false deities, all of this is false, all of this is is, is baseless, then you have the blood tidings of paradise. You tell them these things. Right? So these texts have a context. They have a context. And as the revelation came, and the obligations came, and the prohibitions came, then if that knowledge comes to a person, then it is obligatory upon him to abide by those commands and to refrain from those prohibitions. And if he does not, then he is sinful and he is punishable in the hellfire. So therefore, the point being that a person should not rely upon the likes of these texts and think that just belief alone and speech alone is going to save him from the hellfire. No. Rather, he must act and he must Fear Allah as much as he can, and bring the obligations, and keep away from the prohibitions. So, anyway, the point in this hadith, the benefit is that the greatness of the kalimah La ilaha illallah is that it will eventually save a person, even if he enters into hellfire, it will save him if he said it with sincerity and knowledge uh, of its meaning and conviction in its meaning. This brings us to the next. Hadith So, hadith number 15 is under the chapter heading Bab Fathi Abuabi Sama'a Laha Indama Tuqan. So, chapter the opening of the doors or the gates of heaven for this kalima when it is said. Hadith of Abu Huraira, radhiallahu anhu, from the Prophet, wasallam, that he said, ما قال عبد لا إله إلا الله Illa مخلصا إلا له أبواب السماء حتى تفضي إلى العرش مجتوني بات الكبائر Reported by Tirmidhi and declared Hassan by Shaykh al-Bani, no servant says, La ilaha illallah, ever sincerely, says it mukhlisan, sincerely, except that the gates of heaven or the doors of heaven are opened for it up until it reaches the arsh. So long as the major sins are avoided. So long as the major sins are avoided. So the kalimah la ilaha illallah, it rises and we'll we'll come to this inshallah in in, in the points and the benefits. Um, So let's go through the benefits. First of all, the first benefit is that from the conditions of la ilaha illallah is ikhlas, sincerity. Man la ilaha illallah قَطْ And so this means that when a person says this kalima la ilaha illallah, then all of these impurities of shirk which might be lurking in a person's heart, which is that a person when he says La ilaha illallah, it is not because he's seeking some of the benefits of the world, are out of riya, to be, you know, show off, or out of sum'ah, to be heard. Because this is because many of the uh, hypocrites, there were hypocrites, there were different people who were present. And many people, they accepted Islam when Islam became strong. Not sincerely, but out of, pro- to protect their worldly interests. To protect their lives to protect their wealth, to protect their status and their position, and so they made a display of Islam, and there was no ikhlas, there was no sincerity. And this is the way of the <coughs> the way of the hypocrites, who are disbelievers. <coughs> so, from the conditions, when we speak of these conditions of La ilaha illallah, these conditions are very important for us to know and understand, because they distinguish. Between genuine Islam and Iman, which is acceptable to Allah, and Islam, which is not acceptable to Allah. And the scholars mentioned that there are seven conditions of La Ilaha Illallah. The first of them is knowledge, ilm, that you must have knowledge of what you are saying. That you are testifying that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that this is the truth, and that this is justice, and that to worship anything else besides Allah is false and injustice, and to know that this is true by way of evidences, right? To have knowledge of the meaning. There are many non Muslims who actually understand this, but it doesn't make them Muslims, right? There are many Christians, there are many Jews, there are many atheists. They will say to you, I know what la ilaha illallah means. It means that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And all other deities that people worship are false deities. right?" And you will find disbelievers who can explain to you in detail the meaning of la ilaha illallah. Does this now mean that just because he has knowledge, he's become a believer? No. So knowledge is a condition But that in itself does not make a person a believer Right? That's important to understand Then the second condition is يَقِين يَقِين Certainty So after you know and understand the meaning You have to have certainty that it is the truth Right? Not everybody who knows and understands the meaning At the same time Has certainty that it is the truth Right. There are many disbelievers, many from the Jews and the Christians and the atheists and other than that. They know the meaning of la ilaha illallah. But do they have certainty that it's the truth? No. They either reject that it is the truth or they have shakk They have doubt that it is the truth. So a second condition which follows after the first one is yaqeen. You must have certainty that this is indeed the truth. It is the truth. Now, even this does not make you a Muslim. Because there are many people who know the meaning of La Ilaha Illallah, and they are certain that it is the truth. But they know the implications of what it means for them and for their lives. Right? It means that they will lose something either status, or wealth, or they will have to give up certain things like alcohol, or women, you know, uh, the the pleasures of the dunya. And we we know, we've met many from the the non-Muslims, who who know, I've spoken to people like this, that they are on the verge, they, they know Islam, they are certain there is the truth, but what is their excuse? Well, I can't give up alcohol, I can't give up women, Right? Has knowledge, has yaqeen of what La Ilaha Illallah is and what it means. But what's preventing him? Inwardly, he cannot make babul. Babul is the third condition. Babul meaning, babul means now that you acknowledge inwardly that you are obligated to abide by the kalima and what it requires from you. Right? A person is he. He's prevented from babul. By way of either arrogance, arrogance, he's too arrogant and proud that he should bow and worship and prostrate to Allah. Or that he does not want to lose the worldly pleasures, right? He does not want to give zakah. He does not want to leave the pleasures of the world. He can't give them up. It's it's too much for him, right? So he will not accept Islam on that basis. So therefore, the qabool in his heart is not existent. Either for arrogance or because he pursues the world. And there are people out there that are like this. They know the meaning of the kalima. They are certain that it is the truth. They may not even be arrogant. But they just cannot give up uh, all these things. Or it could be out of fear of the family. If they were to accept Islam, the family would disown them. And this would be too much for them. They couldn't handle this. And so in order to please the family, please the family. And to keep, for example, the wealth and the connections or whatever else. Then he, you know, he, he prefers that over the truth which he knows and is convinced of. Right? So there are people which are like that as well. They are not Muslims. And so kabul, kabul is a third condition. Kabul is inward. Right? And then fourthly, fourth condition is inqiyad. Inqiyad, you must comply outwardly. It follows on from the third one that you comply outwardly. So anyway, the point being, these are four conditions. The other conditions are sincerity, ikhlas, which we are discussing. There is sidq, which is truthfulness. And likewise, there is mahabbah. And a person is recommended to go and study these affairs because they are very, very important to our deen. So the point being, that from the conditions of la ilaha illallah, is that a person must have ikhlas. You must be sincere. Now... The difference between the hypocrites and a genuine true, truthful Muslim is that the hypocrites in all of their actions or the majority of their actions, they are done for show. Sure. This is the way of a hypocrite who is a disbeliever. His prayer, his fasting when he comes to the jamaah, when he participates with the Muslims in all the various affairs, when he does the righteous deeds, all of it is for show. Sure. Either all of them, or the majority of the deeds, when the, when it is not from ikhlas, this is a pure hypocrite. But as for a believer, every now and then, he may fall into a bit of showing off. He might do actions which are insincere, not for the sake of Allah, yet to please the people, or maybe seek some pleasure or some benefit of the world. Every now and then. Every now and then. This is this is a major sin, which he repents from. right? So, but the asal, the foundation of ikhlas is present. But every now and then he falls into these affairs. Right? So that's the difference. So the condition of ikhlas is that a person must have said the kalima la ilaha illallah, free of all of these things. The second benefit is that clearly this hadith indicates the excellence of la ilaha illallah in that the heavens are opened, the gates of heaven are opened for the kalima la ilaha illallah. And they continue, past the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, till it reaches the Arsh of Ar-Rahman. The Arsh of Ar-Rahman. And incidentally, the heavens that we speak of, which are mentioned in the, in the Quran, when Allah mentions As-Samawat, uh, as the seven heavens. These are not, the, the seven heavens are physical constructions. Because they have doors, they have gates which are opened. And so they are, and they have inhabitants. Some of the prophets are in some of the heavens. So they are, it is not just seven, you know, uh, stretches of space. This is not what is, what is, uh, what the heavens refer to in the Quran, as the scholars explain. It is an actual physical construction. And we don't know the details of that. And so they are gates, they have gates and they have keepers. And these gates are opened and the Kalima ascends up until it reaches the Arsh of Ar-Rahman. Also, it indicates this hadith to us that the heavens are closed and they are only opened by the permission of Allah. By the permission of Allah Also from the benefits is that the Arsh al Ar-Rahman, the throne of al rahman is above the heavens. Above the seven heavens. Also, this hadith is a proof for the ulu the Highness, the aboveness of Allah جل, over his creation. And this is a refutation of the Jahmiyyah, the mu'tazila the people of kalam the people of ilmul kalam who deny that allah is above his creation on account of these philosophical this philosophical baggage that they took from aristotle and those people about bodies and accidents and things like that which they brought into islam uh, you know and then they began to speak about allah and the, you know the, the, his names his attributes on the basis of this language this hadith and many others are an evidence that Allah is above his creation, above his throne, in a manner that befits his majesty. And this agrees with the statement of Allah in the Quran, the hadith itself. يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحِ يَرْفَعُهُ So he says, uh, in, in, in the ayah, to him ascends the goodly word. The goodly word ascends unto him. la ilaha salih And the righteous deed is what raises it. salih The righteous deed is what raises it. And of course, the best of speech, the best kalim, is the statement la ilaha Then we come to the end of the hadith, which is majtunibatil which is kabair. So long as the major sins are avoided. So a person, if he avoids the major sins, then this kalima reaches Allah quickly, with speed, as some of the people of knowledge have said. That if you avoid the major sins, it will reach Allah quickly. It does not mean that if you have major sins, your deeds are not accepted. They are still accepted, but they're not like the person who avoids the major sins. The one who avoids the major sins, then the deeds rise to Allah in a a quicker uh, way than the one who commits major sins. So, in summary, the point of benefit, the point of evidence in this hadith for for our lesson, which is indicating the excellence of La ilaha illallah, is that this kalima ascends to Allah up until it reaches the arsh, of Ar-Rahman. And anyone who says it, Mukhlis, he sincerely says it, understanding its meaning with certainty, and he says it uh, with Ikhlas, then it rises up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll finish with the final hadith, and before we embark upon the prayer, we'll finish with one more hadith, Inshallah. ta'ala. And so this hadith is hadith number 16, that between the kalima, annahu laysa dunaha wa dunallah, wa hijabun. There is not between the kalima, and between Allah, any hijab, any barrier. Now this hadith is actually da'if, it is reported by At-Tirmidhi, and the scholars have explained that it is da'if, but nevertheless the meaning itself can be found in other texts. So in this hadith from Abdullah bin Amr radiallahu anhu who said that the messenger of Allah he said At-Tasbih Niswul Mizan to say that Tasbih is half of the scales Walhamdulillah yamla'uh and the statement Alhamdulillah it fills the scales and La ilaha illallah it does not have there is no barrier between it and between Allah until it reaches Allah so as we said, this hadith itself is not authentic, but the meanings that it contains can be found in other texts. For example, the hadith in An-Nabawi's nabawis 40, 40 hadith, in which the messenger of Allah s. said, Al-Tuhur Shatru iman Al-Tuhur iman Purity is half of faith. Walhamdulillah, Tamla'ul Mizan. Alhamdulillah, it fills the scales. Wa وَسُبْحَانَ uh, اللَّهُ subhan- wa- And subhanallah, alhamdulillah, they fill what is between the earth and the heaven. So we see that there are texts, authentic texts, where the same meanings which are in this hadith can be found. So on that basis then, we can look at some of the benefits that can be taken from this hadith. First of all, this hadith indicates the excellence of tasbih. Tasbih. What do we mean when we say SubhanAllah? What is the meaning? When we say SubhanAllah we are saying that Allah is free from all imperfections, all blemishes, all shortcomings, Allah is free of them. In other words, we are declaring His perfection. This is what it means when you say SubhanAllah. Now, why is it half of the scales? This we will understand when we know the meaning of Alhamdulillah. When we say Alhamdulillah, we are praising Allah for all of His perfections. All of His names, beautiful names, all of His attributes of perfection. So can you see how SubhanAllah and Alhamdulillah, they work together? SubhanAllah, we are declaring Allah free from all imperfections, shortcomings, blemishes, defaults. There is nothing of that. With Allah, His names, His attributes. He's perfect in everything. Perfect in His essence. Perfect in His Rububiya, uh, In His names and attributes. In His right to be... He's perfect in all of those respects. So on the one hand, we are declaring Allah to be free from all blemishes, default shortcomings. On the other hand, we are praising Him for His perfections. When we say, Alhamdulillah, we mean, we are saying that Allah is praised with all and every type of praise because he has the attributes of perfection for which he is praised. So these two, these two, when we say, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, subhanallah, it fills half of the scale. Alhamdulillah fills the other half of the scale. Because these two meanings, they go together. And that's why we see in the other hadith, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, Uh, that that this statement "Subhanallah it fills what is between the earth and between the heaven and so uh, likewise the hadith indicates the excellence of la ilaha illallah in that there is no barrier that comes between a person saying this kalima and this kalima and between Allah and this again is the excellence and the virtue of the statement la ilaha illallah and finally the hadith which is reported by Muslim, which is an authentic hadith in which the Messenger of Allah said, لِأَنْ أَقُولَ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَلَا Wallahu إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ أَكِبَرُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِمَّا طَلَعَتْ عَلَيْهِ الشَّمْسِ That I say, سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ Ilaha أَنْ لَا Allah إِلَّا اللَّهِ is more beloved to me than that upon which the sun rises so this again is another text which indicates which supports the meaning of that text that la ilaha illallah is the most excellent and the most virtuous of statements that a person can make so inshallah we'll suffice with uh, that much for for today so, these ahadith that we've mentioned, these 12, uh, 5 or 6 ahadith that we mentioned, all of them indicate again the excellence and the tremendous uh, um, you know, excellence that lies with the kalimah la ilaha illallah, but it is with conditions. Knowing what it means, having certainty in its meaning, accepting inwardly what it requires from a person in deeds, in speech and so on and so forth and when a person upon all of this he says la ilaha illallah it is a tremendous and mighty statement to make which will save him from the hellfire in the hereafter and we'll conclude with that inshallah ta'ala and uh, we'll continue with the remaining hadith in the next in the next lesson alhamdulillah <laughs> rabbil Alameen. wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in